Okay, so we are in the Christmas season, and I'm sure many of you have Christmas trees up in your homes. Our Christmas tree actually went up at the Thanksgiving weekend, although in the UK, we don't normally put our trees up so soon. So if you don't know me, I'm from Manchester, England, but usually in the UK, you don't put your tree up until anywhere from sort of a a week leading up to Christmas, maybe two weeks leading up to Christmas. So these days, we've actually embraced the American culture. Culture. And so, you know, we like to get our tree up. We like to do all of the decoration. What are you doing? You need to fix your mic. Robert, I'm preaching. Like the, the sermon has started. Okay. Are you done yet? Like, okay. Thank you. Yeah, go away. Stop interrupting me. Where was I? Uh, Christmas trees, Christmas celebrations. So the tree went up. We had our daughter, Olivia, and so- excuse me. It's Brandon. It's our associate pastor. Give me a sec. Brandon. Um, no, no, it's not at all a good time. Look, I'm on the stage. Are, are, you, are you here? Like, are you actually in the building? Okay, will you stop interrupting me? Go away. Sorry. All right, so where was I? Um, trees. Oh, yeah, Olivia, our daughter, came uh, with her son-in-law, so it's the first time that, you know, we've kind of had them to be able to, to celebrate together in the run-up to Christmas. And it, Okay, Robert, just stop interrupting me. Please, just just go away. Guys, look, I have a plan here. Don't you hate being interrupted? Seriously? You know, don't, don't you hate it when you've got this, this thing that you want to do, you're on a particular track, you're on a particular pathway, and it just feels as though people or circumstances are getting in the way. How do you respond when that happens? I mean, I don't particularly deal with that very well. When I feel that, you know, I, I have an agenda or there's a purpose or there's a goal that I'm trying to reach, and so it can be incredibly frustrating to get interrupted. But how do we respond when we realize that it's not a person that's interrupting us, but it's God? What do we do when God interrupts what we're doing, when he intervenes in everything that we had mapped out. Well, this is something that we're going to look at this morning. You see, the title to this message is A Christmas Interruption, When God Intervenes in Our Plans. A Christmas Interruption, When God Intervenes in Our Plans. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and so if you have your Bibles, open them or switch them on. If you haven't, don't worry, it'll be on the screen behind me. But we're going to read in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel's announcement to Mary that she was going to become pregnant. And here's just a roadmap of where we're going in this message. We're going to find that God interrupted the plans that Mary and Joseph had for one another, and that caused a lot of confusion. In fact, they didn't really understand everything that God was doing, and it felt as though the way forward was impossible, but we're going to find the response that we can perhaps take to heart this Christmas time as we face whatever you're facing in your lives, but potentially an interruption to where you thought you would be or where you would be going. So, I'll, give you, I'll go ahead and give you point number one, okay? This is where we're going to start. God sometimes interrupts our plans. God sometimes interrupts our plans. I'm going to start reading from Luke chapter 1, and I'll begin at verse 26. I'll read through to the end of verse 30, and then I'll pause and I'll go back and I'll explain different elements of it, okay? So, God sometimes interrupts our plans. Luke chapter 1, 
starting at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled by this saying and, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Let's pause for a moment. Let me go back, and at the start of verse 26, you know, we encountered an expression in the sixth month. Now then, for us, the sixth month is June. This is not June, so don't look at this through the eyes of the way in which we count calendar months, because it's actually referring to something else. In fact, it's referring to something that happened at the beginning of Luke chapter 1. You see, at the start of Luke chapter 1, Gabriel had appeared to two other people. Well, to one person, but who was married to another. Gabriel appeared to a priest called Zechariah. Zechariah was in Jerusalem. He was in the temple. He was actually in the holiest of holiest places in the temple. And Gabriel appeared to him. And Gabriel said, Zechariah, I know you're married, and I know that you and your wife Elizabeth have not been able to have any children. But guess what? She's going to become pregnant. Now, spoiler warning, we'll get to it. Elizabeth was very old. She was past the stage at which people have children. Zechariah himself was quite old. But Gabriel said, Elizabeth is going to become pregnant. And fast forward, she is going to give birth to John the Baptist. So when we read here in the sixth month, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel appears again. So there are three people that we need to briefly touch on. We've got Gabriel, Mary, and Joseph. Let's start with Gabriel. He's announced as being an angel. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. So Gabriel is one of actually only two angels in the Bible to be named. So there's lots of angelic activity in the Bible. We believe in angels. We believe they are heavenly beings sent by God. And actually, that's what the word angel means. It literally means messenger, someone who's sent by another. So here we have Gabriel, one of only two angels named in the Bible. You've got Gabriel and you've got Michael. And Gabriel appears now the second time in Luke chapter 1 with a really important message. And it seems as though Gabriel has special status to God. In fact, when he appeared to Zechariah at the first part of chapter 1, he said, hey, I stand in the presence of God. So here we have a very important angelic messenger sent by God to somebody who we'll now get to, Mary. Let's talk about Mary. Mary was very likely a teenager in her early teens, somewhere, and we don't know her exact age, but somewhere from, let's say, 12 to 15, so I don't know, maybe 8th grade to 10th grade, she is engaged. Although, did you notice that the Bible sort of uses, the, the version I'm reading from, uses this expression, betrothed. Sometimes you encounter the expression, pledged to be married. This is important for us to understand. Because in first century Israel, an engagement was significantly more meaningful than it is today. Not to belittle engagements today, 
But in engagement today, it's a ring, and it's a promise that something's going to happen. It's a promise that marriage is going to happen. And you, you can break off engagements, really, by returning the ring. Not so in first century Israel. The engagement was the most important ceremony. It lasted several days, and it was a pledge to the other person, I'm with you for life. I'm spending my life with you. And then about a year would pass until the the marriage ceremony, and the couple would not live together during this time, but there was this commitment that we are going to spend the rest of our life. The only way you could break off an engagement in first century Israel was to get a divorce. So this, this young woman, Mary, she has pledged herself in marriage to a man, Joseph. We'll get to Joseph in a moment. And we're told something interesting about her. Actually, three times in the short text. So I read it twice, and I'll read it uh, again in just a moment. But she's described as a virgin. Now, let me unpack that for just a moment, because it's really important to the Christmas story. The Greek word, if you like all the Greek words, the Greek word is parthenon. It's a very specific word. It refers to a young person who's never had any sort of sexual relationship. They've never been physically intimate with another person. They are, I suppose we might describe them as chaste. They've never had that physical union. If Luke simply wanted to describe Mary as being a young woman, he would have used one of three or four other Greek words. But he uses this one specifically because we have to understand this about Mary. She is sexually pure. So the pregnancy that is about to happen and we'll get to this, but it has nothing at all to do with a man. Now then, that is important because if we rewind all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, the fall of mankind, and every single person as a result of the fall of mankind is inherently corrupted with sin. But when Jesus comes along, Jesus is sinless, So he could not have been conceived through the sinful seed of man. It had to be something miraculous. And so we'll get to it in a moment, but I want you to understand Mary is sexually pure at this stage. Something else to let you know, she has a very strong faith. So she is religious. She's a a Jewish young woman, but she clearly knows what we would refer to as the Old Testament, the, the Jewish Torah. And the reason we know this, if we were to keep reading through Luke chapter 1, Mary actually has this incredible praise statement. It's a psalm. And I know you thought psalms only ever happened in the Old Testament. Mm -mm, Not so. There you go. You learned something new today. Uh, There's a psalm in the New Testament. There's a couple, actually, but this is Mary's psalm. And in it, she talks about God in a way that demonstrates her faith. She talks about the history of Israel and the the struggles they went through and the promise of the Messiah. So she's clearly a religious woman. We also know about Mary that she was very poor. She was not a wealthy woman. Now, if I was God and I was choosing someone to give birth to the Son of God, I would choose someone wealthy. I would choose someone with a lot of financial means to make sure that this child had everything he needed as he grew up. Mary's not that person at all. Good job I'm not God, right? 
Mary has hardly anything, and neither does Joseph. And by the way, we know that because if you were to read in Luke chapter 2, a couple of days after Jesus is born, they go to the temple, they make an offering, but they don't offer a bull or a goat or a lamb. They only offer two small birds, either pigeons or turtle doves. That was the offering reserved for the poorest of the poor people. So here we have Mary, a young, sexually, physically pure woman with a strong faith, but very little means. And then the last character that we're introduced to is Joseph. Let me just touch on Joseph briefly. He is pledged to be married to Mary. We don't know his age, but it's likely he would be five or ten years older than Mary. He lived in Nazareth, this very small town, obscure town in the, really, in the middle of nowhere. And you may think, well, I know the name Nazareth. Well, of course you do, because you know the Christmas story. But most people wouldn't have known Nazareth. It seems he's a carpenter or a builder, so works with his hands. And interesting fact, not a single word of Joseph is recorded in any of this story about the life of Jesus. Not a single word Joseph says is recorded in any of the Gospels. Kind of makes you think that maybe actions are louder than words, right? Maybe we should shut up and do more. Anyway, another message maybe. Uh, So we don't know anything he said. We just know of his faith and who he married. So we have Joseph, Mary and Joseph. And Luke is telling this narrative through the eyes of Mary. Matthew will tell it through the eyes of Joseph, but Luke does it through the eyes of Mary. And so Gabriel comes along and he has this message. You found favor with God. Which, if I was in that situation, I think, great, this is going to be awesome right now. I have favor with God. The word favor literally means grace. It's like God is pouring out grace on you. And I'd be thinking, okay, this is good. But then Gabriel delivers a message that fundamentally transforms Mary and Joseph's lives. From this moment onwards, their lives are never the same. This moment transforms who they are and what they thought was about to happen. And I think it's fairly safe to say that given that they lived in Nazareth, that Joseph worked in Nazareth, that they were pledged to be married to one another, that they thought they were going to have a life in Nazareth. Joseph would be working with his hands. They would have a family. Hopefully, there would be some boys. Uh, Joseph could teach them. It would become a family business. It's safe to say that they had plans for their lives. They had their own dream or vision about the future. And then God interrupted those plans. And nothing will ever be the same again for this couple. Can you relate to that? Have you ever been on a trajectory or a path and you thought you knew where you were going and what was going to happen and then all of a sudden, like something coming, up, coming in from left field, God interrupts and everything changes. My wife and I, Fiona and I, were married in 1998. Uh, we bought our home in 1999. Fiona was pregnant with our eldest son, Nathan, in 1999. A couple of years later, Olivia, our daughter, was born. But when we bought this house in 1999, it was our dream home. So we both actually grew up in a tiny village in rural England. 
but we never met. For several decades, it was crazy. There were like 200 people in this village. And we, it's like a when Harry met Sally moment. We never met. You know, different things happened and different circumstances. And so we met and there was this house. It's that one that house. It's my dream house. And the opportunity opened for us to buy it. And we bought this house, and we moved in, and we began raising a family. We began putting money into the house. I was an attorney at the time. Partnership was on the horizon. Fiona was an English teacher. She was raising the family. She had some part-time work. And this this was what we thought was going to happen. And then at the end of 2006, we sold it, and a few months later, we moved over here, 5,000 miles. And that was 17 years ago. I tell you this right now, this was not on our horizon when we got engaged. God interrupted those plans. By the way, I always kind of snigger to myself when I hear someone say, we've just bought our dream home, yeah, our lifelong home. And I go, oh, yeah, let's see how that works out. Now, it's not to say you can't have these things, but, but we just need to hold them in open hands. Anyway, here's the point. God sometimes interrupts our plans. So let's see what happened next as we keep working our way through it. The the second point is those interruptions can be confusing. So God sometimes interrupts our plans, and those interruptions can be confusing. Let's go back to the text. Luke chapter 1, and I'll, I'll just pick up where we left off, so verse 31. So this is still Gabriel talking to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. All right, let me just stop for a moment. Wait, what? What, Gabriel? I'm going to become pregnant? That's not possible. Wait, no, that's not possible. Gabriel, how is that going to work? Because although I'm pledged to be married, although I've made this commitment to this man, we've never been physical, and... That's how babies are made. I mean, Mary knows about the the birds and the bees here. And so the confusion must have been right there. And in fact, I'll show you how confused she is if we jump down to verse 34. This is Mary's response. And Mary said to the angel, to Gabriel, How? How will this be since I am a virgin? Mary's saying to Gabriel, Look, what you're saying, it's confusing me. How will this be? So this is how Gabriel continues, verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary, I know you had a plan for the future, but God is interrupting. And I know you thought hoping you would become pregnant, and you were hoping probably that there would be a son, you're going to conceive now. But it's not going to be in the way every single pregnancy has uh, has operated to this point. And there will never be a pregnancy like this ever again. There's going to be something incredibly unique. The power of God, the Holy Spirit, is going to cause life to be created in your womb Something that is seemingly incredibly confusing to you, but it's going to happen. Oh, and by the way, this isn't just any old baby. This will be the Son of God. 
Mary, from this point onwards, people will call you the mother of the Son of God. Can you for a moment imagine how confused she must have been? It doesn't make any sense at all. Why? When? How? For what purpose? When God interrupts and intervenes in our plans, it can be incredibly confusing. I remember when Fiona and I left the UK and we were coming over to, to the United States and I was going to go to grad school, uh, people, people in the church that we were attending, people said, yeah, you'll be back. I'll give you three months. I'll give you six months. It seemed so confusing at the time, and yet it was something that clearly God was laying out in front of us. And that the reason that this does become confusing, it's actually point number three. Uh, the third point is uh, we don't always see everything that God is doing. So, so God interrupts our plans, and those interruptions can be confusing, but we don't always see everything that he's doing. So let me go back to the text. I'll back up a little. I'll go to, uh, to verse 32. So Luke 1, verse 32. This is Gabriel talking to Mary. So he, the baby that you're going to conceive, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. So allow me to pause there for a moment. So the baby will be great. The baby will be called Son of the Most High. So that happened when Jesus was born. Gabriel's words were fulfilled in Luke chapter 2, for instance, angels appeared to shepherds, said, to you this day in the town of David, a savior has been born. And the shepherds went and they praised the birth of the Messiah. When Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to make this, this offering, there was a man there called Simeon who saw this baby and recognized he's the Messiah and praise God. There's a woman there called Anna who saw baby Jesus and recognized him as being the Messiah and praise God. About two years later, wise men came bringing gifts, bowing down to the one born King of the Jews. So these things happened when Jesus was born. But then the second part of this, and this is a little bit confusing. So let me just halfway through verse 32, and... And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That did not happen that first Christmas. That did not happen at any point during the earthly ministry of Jesus. Mary never saw those promises fulfilled, neither did Joseph. Jesus never sat on an earthly throne the first time he came. Jesus did not establish an eternal rule over the kingdom of Israel the first time he came. Nobody saw those. Gabriel is giving a prophecy to Mary, saying this is who this baby is going to be. This is why God is interrupting. But prophecy we often don't see or fully understand prophecy. There are things that are taking place that we may never see. Prophecy is a little bit like a mountain range. Here in Asheville, you know, we've got mountains all around us. So let's say, you know, you're looking at the mountains and you can see the, the one that's closest to you. You can say, oh yeah, there's that mountain. And then behind that, you see other peaks. What you don't see is the distance in between the peaks. That's what prophecy is like. Yeah, you see a glimpse of something that's in front of you, and then you see a glimpse of something that's later, that's behind it, but you have no idea the distance between it. So there were things going on here that Mary would never see. 
When God intervenes in our plans, we don't always see what he's doing. That's why there's confusion. God, what are you doing right now? Why is this happening right now? What's going on? I don't, I don't see it. I think of Job, actually, when I read these verses. If we were to go back into the Old Testament, the story of Job, Job was married, had a big family, had what we would call today a big business, and in some sort of conversation in the spiritual realm between God and Satan, God allowed Satan to interrupt all of that, and Job lost everything except his wife, his family, his, effectively his business, his home. It, it was all taken away from him, and he went through a dreadful season. Now, it was restored to him. Actually, he got back a lot more than what he originally had. But you get to the end of the book of Job, and you realize Job is never told why it all happened. He hasn't got a clue. Because things were happening around him that he was not privy to. He didn't fully see everything that God was doing. And that's true of God's interruptions in our life, which kind of leads us to the fourth point, it can often feel as though we are facing an impossible situation. So God's interruptions can often feel as though we're facing the impossible. Let me go back to the text. Uh, Luke chapter 1, now verse 36, and this is still Gabriel talking to Mary. Luke 1, 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her. There you go, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And let me just pause for a moment. Gabriel's talking to Mary. And he's saying, I know this is confusing. And I could see that you would think that this was impossible. But guess what? Your, your relative, Elizabeth, so Zechariah's wife, She's older now, and we don't know the exact age, anywhere from 50 to 80, perhaps. Uh, we do believe that she was postmenopausal. So not only has she been unable to have children as a young woman, now she, there's definitely no way that she's having any children. And Gabriel's saying, oh, <laughs> yeah, she's pregnant. Seemed impossible that Elizabeth and Zechariah would never have any children. Yep, she's pregnant. It's really a parallel back in Genesis of what happened to Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Abraham was promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. But at 99 years of age, he didn't have any. 99. His wife, Sarah, was 90 when she became pregnant. Nothing, nothing is impossible for God. And in fact, that's the very next verse. Look at this, Luke 1.37. For nothing will be impossible with God. You know, when God interrupts and we're confused and hurting and struggling to see everything that's happening and feeling as though this is an impossible situation, like how can this be what God wants for me? We would do well to be reminded that nothing is impossible for God. 
When we came over to the United States in 2007, uh, we'd sold our home in the UK, and so we brought some savings over with us. Uh, I had what's called an F1 visa, which means as a student, I was allowed to go to school. Fiona and the, and the kids, Nathan and Livia, had F2 visas, but there are conditions attached to the F visa status. No one's allowed to work. You're here to study, and that's the only thing that you can do. So I couldn't work. Fiona couldn't work. And so we used our savings for several years. God provided really, really uh, generously for us during that time. And then the savings began to run out. <laughs> Bills don't run out. <laughs> yeah, Needs are still there. And so we reached a stage about three years in where uh, we sat down and said, this, this makes no sense. Like, God, you, you interrupted what we thought we were going to be doing in our lives, and now we're over here. We're on the other side of the world, and there's no money. <laughs> what are you going to do? It, we're in an impossible situation. And we began praying about it. And the craziest thing happened. We began receiving envelopes in the mail, handwritten envelopes, containing $500, five $100 bills every month. And they had, they had a postage stamp on, and they had the stamp on. They'd gone through the local post office. Every month, they arrived in our mailbox with nothing else, just an envelope with $500 inside. Do you know what the return address was on all of those envelopes? It was my house. It made no sense at all. It still doesn't, you know. I, I think back to that now. I have no idea where that money came from. Absolutely zero idea. But it came what we felt was an impossible situation. God was right there. He was right there. Imagine Moses leading the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and God leading Moses with this uh, pillar of fire and they reach a sea and they've got the Israelite army barreling down behind them. It's impossible. God, now what? Apart the sea, Moses through they go. And they're wandering in the wilderness, and they're hungry, and there's no food, and it feels like an impossible situation. God, what are you going to do? And food just appears from heaven. We need water. Yeah, that rock, water's going to come out of that rock. Generations later, Joshua comes along. He leads the Israelites into the promised land, and the first city, God says, take that city. It's Jericho. And if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking, okay, I've got a plan, God. Okay, I've got this huge army, so we're going to attack in waves. And God says, no, you're not. No, you're going to go for a walk every day. You're going to walk around this thing uh, for six days. And on the seventh day, no, you're not going to attack it then either. You're just going to praise me. You're going to sing. You're going to blow the trumpets, and you're just going to watch to see what I can do. For nothing is impossible with God. So when God intervenes and interrupts, although it seems like there's no way forward, God's right there and he's saying, trust me. And that's, as we close it, point number five. Our response is to submit to his purposes. Our response is to submit to the purposes of God. Let me read this last verse of today. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. This is Mary's response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's response with this huge interruption 
Her life never going to be the same. This confusion, not seeing everything that God's doing, thinking that the way forward is impossible. Her faith causes her to say, I submit. The word servant, literally, it means slave. God, I am a slave to whatever you're doing. And by faith, I submit. And that's what we do, you know. So this Christmas, I imagine a variety of you are in different spots, different places. And I would imagine that some of you, maybe many of you, you, you had a vision, you had a goal. You thought you were know where you were going and something's happened. And now there's confusion and there's hurt. Don't fully understand what's happening. It just seems like it would be impossible to move forward out of this. And God's right there. And God's saying, trust me, submit to me. Now then, to submit to God presupposes that you have a relationship with God. And I don't want to make that assumption. So maybe you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with God. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lead you into it. We're going to pray together. And I am going to lead you to pray, to say to God, I can't do this. Forgive me. I need you. I don't have all the answers, but I recognize that you sent Jesus for me. So let's pray together. And if that's you, pray pray with me. Uh, Father, I, I thank you that you love us beyond anything that we could imagine. Uh, Your love covers every mistake, every wrong, every misstep. Your love covers sin. Your love sent Jesus Christ, God the Son, to take on human flesh, to go to a cross, to take my sin so that I might know you again. And God, I ask you, please forgive me. Please help me in this moment to begin anew on your path. And I ask this in Jesus' name.